Chapter 61 of Varney the Vampire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Roger Moline. Varney the Vampire, Volume 1, by Thomas Prescott Prest. Chapter 61 The Vampire in the Moonlight. THE FALSE FRIEND Part of the distance being accomplished toward the old ruins, Tom Eccles began to feel that what he had undertaken was not altogether such child's play as he had at first imagined it to be. Somehow or another, with a singular and uncomfortable sort of distinctness, there came across his mind every story that he had remembered of the wild and the wonderful. All the long-since-forgotten tales of superstition that in early childhood he had learned came now back upon him, suggesting to his mind a thousand uncomfortable fancies of the strangest description. It was not likely that when once a man under such circumstances got into such a frame of mind, he would readily get out of it again, while he continued surrounded by such scenes as had first called them into existence. No doubt, had he turned about and faced the inn again instead of the old ruins, he would soon have shaken off these thick-coming fancies. But such a result was not to be expected, so long as he kept on toward the dismal place he had pledged himself to reach. As he traversed meadow after meadow, he began to ask himself some questions, which he found that he could not answer exactly in a consolatory manner under the present state of things. Among these questions was the very pertinent one of, It's no argument against vampires, because I don't see the use of them, is it? This he was compelled to answer as he had put it, and when, in addition, he began to recollect that, without the shadow of a doubt, Sir Francis Varney, the supposed vampire, had been chased across the fields to that very ruin whither he was bound, and had then and there disappeared, he certainly found himself in a decidedly uncomfortable and most unpromising situation. No, he said, no, hang it, I won't go back now to be made the laughing stock of the whole town which I should be. Come what may of it, I will go on as I have commenced, so I shall put on as stout a heart as I can. Then, having come to this resolve, he strove might and main to banish from his mind those disagreeable reminiscences that had been oppressing him, to turn his attention to subjects of a different complexion. During the progress of making this endeavor, which was rather futile, he came within sight of the ruins. Then he slackened his pace a little, telling himself with a pardonable self-deceit that it was common, ordinary caution only, which induced him to do so, and nothing at all in the shape of fear time enough, he remarked, to be afraid when I see anything to be afraid of, which I don't see as yet. So, as all's right, I may as well put a good face upon the matter. He tried to whistle a tune, but it turned out only a melancholy failure, so he gave that up in despair, and walked on until he got within a hundred yards or thereabouts of the old ruins. He thus proceeded, and bending his ear close to the ground, he listened attentively for several minutes. Somehow he fancied that a strange murmuring sound came to his ears, but he was not 
quite sure that it proceeded from the ruins, because it was just that sort of sound that might come from a long way off, being mellowed by distance, although perhaps loud enough at its source. "'Well, well,' he whispered to himself, "'it don't matter much after all. "'Go I must, and hide the handkerchief somewhere, "'or else be laughed at, besides losing my wages. "'The former I don't like, and the latter I cannot afford.' Thus, clinching the matter by such knock-down arguments, he walked on until he was almost within the very shadow of the ruins, and probably it was at this juncture that his footsteps may have been heard by Marchdale and Sir Francis Varney. Then he paused again, but all was profoundly still, and he began to think that the strange sort of murmuring noise that he had heard must have come from far off, and not at all from any person or persons within the ruins. Let me see, he said to himself. I have five handkerchiefs to hide among the old ruins somewhere, and the sooner I do so the better, because then I will get away, for as regards staying here to watch, heaven knows how long, for Sir Francis Varney, I don't intend to do it. Upon second thoughts, and second thoughts, they say, are generally best. With the most careful footsteps now, as if he were treading upon some fragile substance which he feared to injure, he advanced until he was fairly within the precincts of the ancient place which now bore so ill a reputation. He then made to himself much the same remark that Sir Francis Varney had made to Marchdale, with respect to the brightening up of the sky, in consequence of its being near the time for the moon to rise from the horizon, and he saw more clearly around him, although he could not find any good place to hide the handkerchiefs in. "'I must and will,' he said, "'hide them securely.' for it would indeed be remarkably unpleasant, after coming here and winning my wages, to have the proofs that I had done so taken away by some chance visitor to the place. He at length saw a tolerably large stone, which stood in a slant position up against one of the walls. Its size attracted him. He thought, if his strength was sufficient to move it, that it would be a good thing to do so, and to place the handkerchiefs beneath it, for, at all events, it was so heavy that it could not be kicked aside, and no one, without some sort of a motive to do so beyond the mere love of labor, would set about moving it from its position. "'I may go further and fare worse,' he said to himself, "'so here shall all the handkerchiefs lie, to afford a proof that I have been here.' He packed them into a small compass, and then stooped to roll aside the heavy stone, when, at the moment, before he could apply his strength to that purpose, he heard someone in his immediate neighborhood say, Hist! This was so sudden and so utterly unexpected that he not only ceased his exertions to move the stone, but he nearly fell down in surprise. Hist! Hist! What? What? gasped Tom Eccles. What are you? Hush! 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 The perspiration broke out upon his brow, and he leaned against the wall for support as he managed to say faintly, Well, hush! What then? Hist! Well, I hear you. Where are you? Near at hand. Who are you? Tom Eccles, who are you? A friend. Have you seen anything? No, I wish I could. I should like to see you if I could. I'm coming. 
There was a slow and cautious footstep, and Marchdale advanced to where Tom Eccles was standing. "'Come now,' said the latter, when he saw the dusky-looking form stalking towards him. "'Till I know you better, I'll be obliged to keep you off. I am well armed. Keep your distance, be you friend or foe.' "'Armed!' exclaimed Marchdale, and he at once paused. "'Yes, I am. But I am a friend.' I have no sort of objection, frankly, to tell you my errand. I am a friend of the Bannerworth family, and have kept watch here now for two nights, in the hopes of meeting with Varney, the vampire. The deuce you have, and pray what may your name be? Marchdale. If you be Mr. Marchdale, I know you by sight, for I have seen you with Mr. Henry Bannerworth several times. Come out from among the shadows, and let us have a look at you. But till you do, don't come within arm's length of me. I am not naturally suspicious, but we cannot be too careful. Oh, certainly, certainly. The silver edge of the moon is just now peeping up from the east, and you will be able to see me well if you step from the shadow of the wall by which you now are. This was a reasonable enough proposition, and Tom Eccles at once succeeded to it by stepping out boldly into the partial moonlight, which now began to fall upon the open meadows, tinting the grass with a silvery refulgence, and rendering even minute objects visible. The moment he saw Marchdale he knew him, and advancing frankly to him he said, "'I know you, sir, well.' "'And what brings you here?' A wager for one thing, and a wish to see the vampire for another. Indeed? Yes, I must own that I have such a wish, along with a still stronger one, to capture him, if possible. And, as there are now two of us, why may we not do it? As for capturing him, said Marchdale, I should prefer shooting him. You would? I would indeed. I have seen him once shot down, and he is now, I have no doubt, as well as ever. What were you doing with that huge stone I saw you bending over? I have some handkerchiefs to hide here as a proof that I have tonight really been to this place. Oh, I will show you a better spot where there is a crevice in which you can place them with perfect safety. Will you walk with me into the ruins? Willingly. It's odd enough, remarked Marchdale, after he had shown Tom Eccles where to hide the handkerchiefs, that you and I should both be here upon so similar an errand. I'm very glad of it. It robs the place of its gloom, and makes it ten times more endurable than it otherwise would be. What do you propose to do if you see the vampire? I shall try a pistol bullet on him. You say you are armed? Yes. With pistols? One. Here it is. A huge weapon. Loaded well, of course. Oh, yes, I can depend upon it, but I did not intend to use it unless assailed. Tis well. What is that? What? What? Don't you see anything there? Come farther back. Look. Look. At the corner of that wall, there I am certain is the flutter of a human garment. There is. There is. Hush! Keep close. It must be the vampire. Give me my pistol. What are you doing with it? Only ramming down the charge more firmly for you. Take it. If that be Varney the vampire, I shall challenge him to surrender the moment he appears, and if he does not, I will fire upon him. 
and you do so likewise. Well, I... I don't know. You have scruples? I certainly have. Well, well, don't you fire then, but leave it to me. There, look, look, now have you any doubt? There he goes in his cloak. It is... it is... Varney, by heavens, cried Tom Eccles. Surrender, shouted Marchdale. At the instant, Sir Francis Varney sprang forward and made off at a rapid pace across the meadows. Fire after him! Fire! cried Marchdale, or he will escape! My pistol has missed fire! He will be off! On the impulse of the moment, and thus urged by the voice and the gesture of his companion, Tom Eccles took aim as well as he could, and fired after the retreating form of Sir Francis Varney. His conscience smote him as he heard the report and saw the flash of the large pistol amid the half-sorted darkness that was still around. The effect of the shot was then to him painfully apparent. He saw Varney stop instantly, then make a vain attempt to stagger forward a little, and finally fall heavily to the earth, with all the appearance of one killed upon the spot. "'You have hit him,' said Marchdale. "'You have hit him! Bravo!' "'I have hit him.' "'Yes, a capital shot, by Jove. "'I am very sorry.' "'Sorry? Sorry for ridding the world of such a being? "'What was in your pistol?' "'A couple of slugs.' "'Well, they have made a lodgment in him. "'That's quite clear. "'Let's go up and finish him at once.' "'He seems finished.' "'I beg your pardon there. "'When the moonbeams fall upon him, "'he'll get up and walk away as if nothing was the matter.' "'Will he?' cried Tom with animation. "'Will he?' "'Certainly he will.' "'Thank God for that. "'Now hark you, Mr. Marchdale. "'I should not have fired if you had not at the moment urged me to do so. "'Now I shall stay and see if the effect which you talk of will ensue, "'and although it may convince me that he is a vampire "'and that there are such things, "'he may go off, scot-free for me.' "'Go off?' "'Yes.' I don't want to have even a vampire's blood upon my hands. You are exceedingly delicate. Perhaps I am. It's my way, though. I have shot him, not you, mine, so in a manner of speaking he belongs to me. Now, mark you, I won't have him touched any more tonight unless you think there's a chance of making a prisoner of him without violence. There he lies. You can go and make a prisoner of him at once, dead as he is, and if you take him out of the moonlight, I understand, he won't recover. Certainly not. But as I want him to recover, that don't suit me. Well, I cannot but honor your scruples, although I do not actually share in them, but I promise you that since such is your wish, I will take no steps against the vampire. But let us come up to him and see if he really be dead, or if only badly wounded. Tom Eccles hung back a little from this proposal, but upon being urged again by Marchdale, and told that he need not go closer than he chose, he consented, and the two of them approached the prostrate form of Sir Francis Varney, which lay upon its face in the faint moonlight, which each moment was gathering strength and power. "'He lies upon his face,' said Marchdale. "'Will you go and turn him over?' "'Who, I? God forbid I should touch him.' "'Well,' Well, I will. Come on. They halted within a couple of yards of the body. 
Tom Eccles would not go a step further, so Marchdale advanced alone, and pretended to be, with great repugnance, examining for the wound. "'He is quite dead,' he said. "'But I cannot see the hurt. "'I think he turned his head as I fired. "'Did he? Let us see.' Marchdale lifted up the head, and disclosed such a mass of clotted-looking blood that Tom Eccles at once took to his heels, nor stopped until he was nearly as far off as the ruins. Marchdale followed him more slowly, and when he came up to him he said, "'The slugs have taken effect on his face.' "'I know it, I know it, don't tell me. He looks horrible.' "'And I am a murderer.' "'Pshaw, you look upon this matter too seriously.' Think of who and what he was, and then you will soon acquit yourself of being open to any such charge. I am bewildered, Mr. Marchdale, and cannot now know whether he be a vampire or not. If he be not, I have murdered, most unjustifiably, a fellow creature. Well, but if he be? Why, even then, I do not know but that I ought to consider myself as guilty. He is one of God's creatures if he were ten times a vampire. Well, you really do take a serious view of the affair. Not more serious than it deserves. And what do you mean to do? I shall remain here to await the result of what you tell me will ensue if he be a real vampire. Even now the moonbeams are full upon him, and each moment increasing in intensity. Think you he will recover? I do indeed. Then here will I wait. Since that is your resolve, I will keep you company. We shall easily find some old stone in the ruins which will serve us for a seat, and there, at leisure, we can keep our eyes upon the dead body and be able to observe it if it makes the least movement. This plan was adopted, and they sat down just within the ruins, but in such a place that they had a full view of the dead body, as it appeared to be, of Sir Francis Varney, upon which the sweet moonbeams shone full and clear. Tom Eccles related how he was incited to come upon his expedition, but he might have spared himself that trouble, as Marchdale had been in a retired corner of the inn parlor before he came to his appointment with Varney, and heard the business for the most part proposed. Half an hour, certainly not more, might have elapsed, when suddenly Tom Eccles uttered an exclamation, partly of surprise and partly of terror. "'He moves!' he cried. "'He moves!' Look at the vampire's body! Marchdale affected to look with an all-absorbing interest, and there was Sir Francis Varney, raising slowly one arm with the hand outstretched towards the moon, as if invoking that luminary to shed more of its beams upon him. Then the body moved slowly, like someone writhing in pain, and yet unable to move from the spot in which it lay. From the head to the foot, the whole frame seemed to be convulsed, and now and then, as the ghastly objects seemed to be gathering more strength, the limbs were thrown out with a rapid and a frightful-looking violence. It was truly, to one who might look upon it as a reality and no juggle, a frightful sight to see, and although Marchdale, of course, tolerably well preserved his equanimity, only now and then, for appearance sake, affecting to be wonderfully shocked, poor Tom Eccles was in such a state of horror and fright that he could not, if he would, have flown from the spot, so fascinated was he by the horrible spectacle. This was a state of things which continued for many minutes, 
and then the body showed evident symptoms of so much returning animation that it was about to rise from its gory bed and mingle once again with the living. Behold, said Marchdale, behold! Heaven have mercy upon us! It is, as I said, the beams of the moon have revived the vampire. You perceive now that there can be no doubt. Yes, yes, I see him, I see him! Sir Francis Varney now, as if with a great struggle, rose to his feet, and looked up at the bright moon for some moments with such an air and manner that it would not have required any very great amount of imagination to conceive that he was returning to it some sort of thanksgiving for the good that it had done to him. He then seemed for some moments in a state of considerable indecision as to which way he should proceed. He turned around several times. Then he advanced a step or two towards the house, but apparently his resolution changed again, and casting his eyes upon the ruins, he at once made towards them. This was too much for the philosophy as well as for the courage of Tom Eccles. It was all very well to look on at some distance and observe the wonderful and inexplicable proceedings of the vampire, but when he showed symptoms of making a nearer acquaintance, it was not to be borne. "'Why, he's coming here,' said Tom. "'He seems so indeed,' remarked Marchdale. "'Do you mean to stay?' "'I think I shall.' "'You do, do you?' "'Yes, I should much like to question him, "'and as we are two to one, "'I think we really can have nothing to fear.' "'Do you? "'I'm altogether of a different opinion. "'A man who has more lives than a cat "'don't much mind at what odds he fights. "'You may stay if you like.' Do you not mean to say that you will desert me? I don't see a bit how you call it deserting you. If we had come out together in this adventure, I would have stayed it out with you. But as we came separate and independent, we may as well go back so. Well, but... Good morning, cried Tom, and he at once took to his heels towards the town, without staying to pay any attention to the remonstrances of Marchdale, who called after him in vain. Sir Francis Varney, probably had Tom Eccles not gone off so rapidly, would have yet taken another thought, and gone in another direction than that which had led to the ruins. And Tom, if he had had his senses fully about him, as well as all his powers of perception, would have seen that the progress of the vampire was very slow, while he continued to converse with Marchdale, and that it was only when he went off at a good speed that Sir Francis Varney likewise thought it prudent to do so. "'Is he much terrified?' said Varney, as he came up to Marchdale. "'Yes, most completely. "'This, then, will make a good story in the town. "'It will indeed, and not a little enhance your reputation.' "'Well, well, it don't much matter now. "'But if by terrifying people I can purchase for myself anything like immunity for the past, "'I shall be satisfied.' I think you may now safely reckon that you have done so. This man who has fled with so much precipitation had courage. Unquestionably. Or else he would have shrunk from coming here at all. True, but his courage and presence arose from his strong doubts as to the existence of such beings as vampires. Yes, and now that he is convinced, his bravery has evaporated, along with his doubts, and such a tale as he has now to tell will be found sufficient to convert even the most skeptical in the town. 
I hope so. And yet it cannot much avail you. Not personally, but I must confess that I am not dead to all human passions, and I feel some desire of revenge against those dastards who by hundreds have hunted me, burnt down my house, and sought my destruction. That I do not wonder at. I would fain leave among them a legacy of fear, such fear as shall haunt them and their children for years to come. I would wish that the name of Varney, the vampire, should be a sound of terror for generations. It will be so. It shall. And now, then, for consideration of what is to be done with our prisoner, what is your resolve upon that point? I have considered it while I was laying upon yon green sward waiting for the friendly moonbeams to fall upon my face, and it seems to me that there is no sort of resource but to kill him? No, no. What then? To set him free. Nay, have you considered the immense hazard of doing so? Think again. I pray you, think again. I am decidedly of opinion that he more than suspects who are his enemies and in that case you know what consequences would ensue. Besides, have we not enough already to encounter? Why should we add another young, bold, determined spirit to the band which is already arrayed against us? You talk in vain, Marchdale. I know to what it all tends. You have a strong desire for the death of this young man. No, there you wrong me. I have no desire for his death, for its own sake. But where great interests are at stake, there must be sacrifices made. So there must. Therefore I will make a sacrifice, and let this young prisoner free from his dungeon. If such be your determination, I know well it is useless to combat with it. When do you purpose giving him his freedom? I will not act so heedlessly as that your principles of caution shall blame me. I will attempt to get from him some promise that he will not make himself an active instrument against me. Perchance, too, as Bannerworth Hall, which he is sure to visit, where is such an air of desertion, I may be able to persuade him that the Bannerworth family, as well as his uncle, have left this part of the country altogether, so that, without making any inquiry for them about the neighborhood, he may be induced to leave at once. That would be well. Good. Your prudence approves of the plan, and therefore it shall be done. I am rather inclined to think, said Marchdale with a slight tone of sarcasm, that if my prudence did not approve of the plan, it would still be done. Most probably, said Varney calmly. Will you release him tonight? It is morning now, and soon the soft gray light of day will tint the east. I do not think I will release him till sunset again now. Has he provisioned to last him until then? He has. Well, then, two hours after sunset, I will come here and release him from his weary bondage. And now I must go to find some place in which to hide my prescribed head. As for Bannerworth Hall, I will yet have it in my power. I have sworn to do so. I will keep my oath. The accomplishment of our purpose, I regret to say, seems as far off as ever. Not so, not so. As I before remarked, we must disappear for a time, so as to lull suspicion. There will then arise a period when Bannerworth Hall will neither be watched as it is now, nor will it be inhabited. 
a period before the Bannerworth family has made up its mind to go back to it, and when long watching without a result has become too tiresome to be continued at all, then we can at once pursue our object. Be it so. And now, Marchdale, I want more money. More money? Yes, you know that I have had large demands of late. But I certainly had an impression that you were possessed by the death of someone with very ample means. Yes, but there is a means by which all is taken from me. I have no real resources but what are rapidly used up, so I must come upon you again. I have already completely crippled myself as regards to money matters in this enterprise, and I do certainly hope that the fruits will not be far distant. If they be much longer delayed, I shall really not know what to do. However, come to the lodge where you have been staying, and then I will give you, to the extent of my ability, whatever sum you think your present exigencies require. Come on, then, at once. I would certainly, of course, rather leave this place now before daybreak. Come on, I say, come on. Sir Francis Varney and Marchdale walked for some time in silence across the meadows. It was evident that there was not between these associates the very best of feelings. Marchdale was always smarting under an assumption of authority over him on the part of Sir Francis Varney, while the latter scarcely cared to conceal any portion of the contempt with which he regarded his hypocritical companion. Some very strong band of union, indeed, must surely bind these two strange persons together. It must be something of a more than common nature which induces Marchdale not only to obey the behests of his mysterious companion, but to supply him so readily with money as we perceive he promises to do. And, as regards Varney the vampire, he, too, must have some great object in view to induce him to run such a world of risk and to take so much trouble as he was doing with the Bannerworth family. What his object is, and what is the object of Marchdale, will, now that we have progressed so far in our story, soon appear, and then much that is perfectly inexplicable will become clear and distinct, and we shall find that some strong human motives are at the bottom of it all. End of chapter 61. Recording by Roger Moline.